0: Legalize freedom.com.
1: world they drift through the universe pushed on by the solar winds they adapt and they survive the function of all life is survival sleep sleep
0: sleep from deep space sleep, sleep. the seed is planted sleep sleep
1: terror Matthew! 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 Like the others! Elizabeth, wake up! Get you when you sleep! It's got no detail, no character. It's unformed. All of a sudden, they're growing like parasites. Is it contagious? People are being duplicated.
0: You're looking at it as if it was human. It was not human.
1: Greetings and welcome to this, the 400th edition of LegalisedFreedom.com. My guest today is Kingsley Dennis, who joins us to discuss his latest book, The Inversion, how we have been tricked into perceiving a false reality. What we perceive in the world around us is not the hard and fast material reality which modern science insists is all there is. Not only do non-material realms vastly outnumber the narrow vision of three dimensions in our five senses they shape the world of our everyday experience in ways that few are aware of or even consider possible. The first quarter of the 21st century has increasingly come to be dominated by dark forces which appear to be anti-human and even anti-life. The inversion delves deep into the possible origin and nature of these forces, which through social, cultural, political, and economic means are fostering mass psychosis and self-destruction in our species and through the advent of transhumanism and artificial intelligence, seeking to eliminate the human race completely. Hello and welcome, Kingsley, and thank you so much
0: for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Uh, thanks, Greg. It's always good to be chatting with you, and uh, good to be back again. Now, today, Kingsley, we're talking
1: about your latest book, The Inversion, how we have been tricked into perceiving a false reality. Um, I'll, for listeners who don't know, I'll get you to offer a quick potted bio, a uh, little bit of information about yourself and your work. However, this is a very notable event today, uh, certainly for me, but also in you know the years that, that we've been speaking. Uh, this is the 400th uh, edition episode of the Legalized Freedom podcast. And 2023 marks uh, a decade, 10 years uh, that we've been having these conversations, the first one. 2013 as we just reminded ourselves. So yeah, you could uh, take the floor and get us going.
0: Thanks, Greg, and uh, also like to say it's uh, uh, you know very honored to uh, be to be offered the 400th episode and uh, like you said we worked out that 2013 10 years ago we first kind of started our conversation. So very apt that we should get here because you know I think the conversations parallel also our own research in that um you know, we're always kind of learning as we go along, and and I think where we are now is the kind of accumulation of everything we've kind of been picking up picking up along the way. Um, to give a brief bio for for anyone who may be mildly interested, um, I mean, my younger years, I call myself an ex academic. I did work in various institutions around the world, in in Prague, in Istanbul, and in England, and a few places. Um, in colleges and finally universities and in sociology was my where I ended up in sociology Um, but I left that in 2008 yes the end of 2008 I decided that academia was even then uh, becoming highly controlled and quite um, false to true educational needs and I wanted to kind of give my freedom so I jumped ship and and I hopped over at that time to to southern Spain and I decided to become a a freelance researcher and writer. And since then, the majority of virtually all my books have been out since then. And um, just looking at the crossroads between cultural events, the social trends and and, um, human consciousness and thinking patterns and how they all kind of converge. So that's the big mix, really. These external impacts from society, which I suppose is a bit of my sociological background, with the idea of, of of how does self-development and conscious evolution come about within that mix? And what's this kind of... I wouldn't, Well, so, for some people, it's a contestation, but it's also a kind of balance between the inner life and the outer life and how to kind of get those influences uh, to affect oneself beneficially. So, uh, you know, sometimes I look at more inner, inner development and sometimes, like the inversion, I look uh, more... More so on that I suppose, the external impulses and events which are influencing how we perceive our reality set.
1: Okay, so the way, the sort of shape of the talk as as I envision it is, we're going to begin with kind of the, uh, the the nature of the reality that we find ourselves in. I mean in the title of your book, you, you mentioned the false reality, then that in fact is what we are perceiving. That we're not perceiving the the the, the, the some sort of baseline. We're looking at kind of. Like scenery, as it were, you know, like those shop fronts and things that used to set up for the Westerns, you know, that look like a town and there's nothing behind them. Talking about the reality construct, we'll use that phrase, uh, the consensus reality. And then we'll move from that physicality into metaphysical realms, I think, um, which are beginning to, again, to look behind the curtain. Uh, and then we're going to be talking about transhumanism and artificial intelligence, some of the big trends in technology, but also there's way more to those fields than purely physical. There is a metaphysical dimension when that's an idea that will take many people perhaps by surprise. And then we'll be looking at future trends in all of this, where we're going, what you know potential responses, you know, um, what we can expect going forward. So this false reality, let's use I uh, said reality construct, consensus reality for people who are perhaps You know, aware that there's something wrong with the world, you know, that even the world on the television and even maybe the world out of their window, they have this nagging doubts about it, that those doubts may have been amplified by the events of the last few years and the sort of unreality that we all lived through. But uh, consensus, meaning kind of what is agreed upon, you know, by more than one person. And that's an interesting concept when it comes to the nature of reality, because if you say to people that, things are the way they are, because that's what we agree upon. And if we change that, then things would change. Well, that sounds like magical, nonsense thinking, really. But equally, when you look at the experience of individuals within reality, I think that can indicate something about this reality being a construct. By that, I mean that the subjectivity of reality, uh, or lived experience, perhaps, just let's put it that way. I've often said that we none of us live in exactly the same world, you know, we perceive things slightly differently. So there is a contrast between individual perception and mass perception. But perhaps give us, reflecting on what I've just said, uh, some of your thoughts on this reality construct, what it, what it is, and if you don't know what it is, but how it functions and how it affects us. And, you know, for people who are new to these concepts, perhaps orientate them a little bit uh, within that field
0: yeah sure greg and um you know i think it's good that you picked up that in recent years we i think it's more uh the conversation is easier to have around these subjects because we've had so many major impacts which are kind of shaking our our you know awareness and making us more uh questioning and more and more critically aware so because actually the, the point of a consensus reality is that because it's consensus we're actually not aware that we're participating and and i think for for most of the time most people are, are not completely um you know cognizant of how much we do um we are complicit in the reality that we are engaging in because because we had this this narrative or this this conditioning that the world is full of separate objects and what's out there physically is separate to what you know who we are and what we think. We've grown up with this with this idea that reality is fixed, it's separate from us and we're just moving around it. We don't realize that actually what a lot of who we are and what we've become gets projected out into our world, which is why if a person's had a radically different life experience, such as a near death experience or any kind of shock or trauma, they have a completely very quickly they have a completely different understanding of the world around them. And sometimes you can be speaking with a friend or a family member who at one time was so close to you, perhaps, and yet maybe they've had an experience or a trauma and they seem so far away in their own world because they've slipped, they've shifted their reality. So all the time, a consensus reality is because we, we are compliant and we give our willingness to accept a reality. So first we accept it and then we project it and how that mechanism happens is through the stories that we are told now we if we go back in history a very a very kind of um large let's say um large way of putting it is say one time the narrative was that the world was flat before science got into a different area or that in terms of astronomy um that the earth was the center of the universe and then the center of the solar system and everything revolved around us you know and then you know you know what i'm saying and then you have religious narratives before scientific narratives came along and these were given to people to give and say their world view and so when we accept that and in, in ages past we accept it because we didn't have that time uh, individualized education system that we have today we accepted um, verbatim a world view And then we projected that out and that's how we saw our reality now of course that um when we went into a a kind of um from the agrarian stage to the industrial stage we went into a a form of social education which is also a form of of more focused social conditioning those narratives had to be put through our educational structures and therefore had to be enforced in in in, um, a, a more kind of concrete way and and now, of course, it's getting to a point where it's becoming quite specific and quite difficult to maintain that consensus reality because of all these different stories coming up and all these different investigations and critical awareness. But before the recent times, largely the masses were given a story, a narrative that changed very seldom. It changed only over major epochs or aeons because life or people's cultural lifestyles were fairly stable. And now, of course, we're quickening in terms of um, our knowledge base and how we receive information. And that's why we see this kind of splintering, because a lot of people are no longer agreeing in someone else's reality. So, in fact, it's a kind of feedback uh, loop whereby we're provided with information. If we don't question it, we then invest in it to say that's now my beliefs and my belief system. And that goes into our subconscious, which then dictates our conscious reception of events and how we then frame how we see reality so within that you always get little divisions but no major divisions but right now i think the time is quite critical because we're now you know getting major divisions in this reality sets and and it's becoming splintered which why there's a greater force coming out socially culturally politically to try and reset the narrative reset the story because the older stories have become so fragmented. And that's why we're more or less within what we could call the great reset because there's a struggle. There's a contestation of forces to dominate or own the new narrative, which is coming in Greg.
1: Yeah. There's kind of like a bifurcation taking place in society and culture globally. In fact, I mean, I first spotted this really after nine eleven. In fact, I made a video uh, in 2020, I think uh, 2021, maybe, but called a uh, COVID 9 11, a warning from history. And I was drawing parallels between what was happening with the pandemic narrative and 9 11. It was another further kind of bifurcation, you know, another, and yet another split, you know, splinter in reality. And it's interesting what's happening where we find ourselves now, coming up to the end of the first quarter of the 21st century. We have this normalization of the abnormal anything goes and nothing matters all of these manifest problems all around of, around us in every dimension of of uh human affairs uh, but uh people kind of nothing to see here you know just move along and kind of assimilating this and somehow saying this this is okay you know this is if not acceptable then it's to be expected but simultaneously more and more people noticing you know like a glitch in the matrix just say oh, wait there's something wrong here you know, there's something, whether it's purely on a surface level of current events, as it were, you know, political, social, economic trends, or whether it's below the surface and just saying there has to be something else going on behind the scenes here. Uh, not yet another amplification of that earlier splinter, that bifurcation, and uh, it's like people descending further into unconsciousness while some other people seem to be, you know, awakening from uh, you know a state of slumber that we will talk about false awakenings in, in a moment
0: yes and i think well i think it perhaps now more than a bifurcation it, it's uh, becoming splintered and fragmented into many different streams which is why um we there's this kind of instability and uncertainty in society now you know i have to say a consensus reality the way that is managed does not necessarily have to be a negative thing it's a way of socially managing how people work together. You know, if you're in a tribe or small community, you adhere to a worldview which serves the community. And that's always been the, the kind of um, the way it's been put forth. But, of course, it's been hijacked a long time ago. So the forces that want to um, have power over society, of course, took, took possession and dominance of what narratives they want to put forth so a consensus reality can work if it serves a community or serves the group of people who adhere to it but why i call it the inversion is that that kind these stories that have been told to us and that we we imbibe um now no longer make sense so it's a kind of normalized delusion or what i refer to in, in chapter four as normalized madness so so the, and 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 a lot of people are now waking up and saying, okay, well that story used to I used to kind of believe it or it used to work kind of, but now it's kind of it's really crazy. It's not working, and and of course to get to that stage we we've had to have certain impacts, and if you look back in history, they can say all well, these were impacts. So f- for example, still the the general narrative about let's say the World War One, World War Two, and Vietnam War, most wars we believe the the kind of historical narrative but actually now there's been a lot of investigation to say well actually that's not the case there was other agendas which created that and you know and we can go back again and question well you know the assassination of jfk at the time if you questioned it you were labeled conspiracy theorist because conspiracy theorist was a term actually created by the cia to label someone who questioned the assassination of jfk so that was a wake up call which kind of triggered a stream of this fracturing of reality and this gets to an idea of um cognitive dissonance which i touch on in the book and cognitive dissonance is when events that are impacting you start to no longer synchronize with how you thought the world was was or your reality construct and when these two things appear kind of in dissonance um then it creates this kind of crack, you know, the crack in the egg, so to speak. But you need more than one crack to to crack an egg. And so I think, as you mentioned, 9-11 was a huge crack that really broke into our, into our cognitive stability and created cognitive dissonance. And you say, well, you know, it, the narrative that they told it doesn't make sense. These people with pliers overtook a plane with minimal training, which major pilots came forth and said they couldn't you know pilots in in that way and then we've had a whole wave of of elements coming from political institutions and you know in the world economic Forum more recently and of course the the the, you know the pandemic and these kind of social events and each one has been either it can either work to um, further place someone down the rabbit hole if a person doesn't want to deal with the cognitive dissonance they seek the safety And so that can put someone further down the rabbit hole of illusion. But on the other side, it can actually create more cracks in our reality construct. And eventually, this is going to start spitting open. And I think that's what's happening with, as I portray in the inversion. Now, a lot of people are realizing that our reality narrative that we adhere to or that was told to us is falling apart. And that's a very constructive place to find ourselves because we don't want to build a house with the old materials. We need to take a step forward and kind of reconstruct our own sense of self from this kind of splintering.
1: Uh, you mentioned, you know, about how these stories that were told that about the way things are doesn't bear scrutiny. But, we you know, we assimilate these things and then we, you know, we project them out again and they they, they spread, you know, like a, a virus, if you will throughout the collective and then this is where this mass delusion comes from but of course you know we, we need uh you know human race has always needed myths and stories you know these are the things that carry culture forward and it's just part of how we relate to to the wider cosmos it's always been uh very vital in that sense and of course in the modern age of you know scientific materialistic age Myth has become synonymous with with untruth, which, of course, it's not really the, the meaning of the word at all. Nevertheless, in this denial by materialists of you know the power of of myth and uh, you know of stories and of our, our our wider place in a you know in a in a greater holistic system, we still have to have that function fulfilled in another way. In the uh, inversion, you talk about you know Joseph Campbell, the, the famous mythologist about image stories, and he writes about the five functions of these things. So in that sort of benevolent or benign mythological human past where we have these things that, that, you know, the functions that these these stories serve and the the different dimensions of our culture, we have, you know, ironically enough, a simulacrum, you know, a a mimic, mimicry, you know, a simulation of these things under the guise of, you know, a society and a culture that doesn't, Believe in, in mythology or the importance of uh, any non-material or spiritual
0: dimension to uh, human life. So true, and mythology has played a you know central part of our social cultural heritage and of humanity. Um, but of course, there's the there's the truer path and the lesser path, and I refer to our reality construct as a lesser reality because um, there's no there is no one reality. In this realm, there are reflections and, and, and aspects of reality. So I call this, uh, you know, a domination of, of the lesser reality. Now, mythology: a lot of mythological stories uh, are based on archetypes, and Joseph Campbell talked about that um, and was very, very clear on, on his expositions. And we could say that a lot of those archetypes came from the noetic world, or what Plato called the world of ideas. What we may call, um, you know, the imaginal realm, as as in as in Persian Sufism, and there's you know a lot of traditions talk about this realm of the pure idea, the you know um, which then kind of filters down through our stories and mythologies into this lesser realm, and and that's why a lot of wisdom traditions have used stories, tales, mythologies because they are uh ideal mediums of transmission to put across certain uh information and knowledge and through our mythologies we got knowledge of of how to behave we had our heroes and we had our hero's journey you know going through the underworld and having the the life experience and then coming through to the light and taking our wisdom back to the community that's the that's the you know the hero's journey but along the way what i what i'm pointing to is that some of these uh, mythologies or stories um, became hijacked and they was then they got turned around inverted into control mechanisms so some mythologies are control mechanisms and some some structures which let's say um, could be social religious structures can be can be tweaked to become almost traumatic trauma structures that are then used for social cultural modification of managing people so you see previously mythologies were used to control external behavior and and external behavior was controlled very brutally you know the, the the king or queen i.e the the head of state had jurisdiction over your over the subject's body and if you went against the 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 consensus rule then you would be hung up you know or put in a town square into stocks so you were tortured physically because that was a visceral kind of social management now over time as social cultural structures and humanity has developed um is you, you know we we don't they don't get away with such brutal physical um management not so much i mean in some cultures it still carries on of course um in the more industrialized c- countries the holy grail is to socially manage people by getting into our heads internally because external management of behavior only kind of goes so far and this is why in the last few decades especially with the uptake and advancement of technology which is key the holy grail is in their sight or so they feel in terms of management to get into our heads and that's why it's so much more important to critically observe how these agendas and strategies operate because we want to protect the last dominion of our sovereign self which is how we think and feel in our inner private life.
1: Yeah and of course getting into our heads has been a thing you know the modern era of uh, propaganda. Bernays I mean really you could I've got my earliest book on the subject, is William Sargent's The Battle for the Mind, which was published in the 1950s, you know, so this coming from a military uh, secret service kind of, uh, you know, applications that soon became applied commercially, as where well, all these things are, but, you know, politically, socially. And uh, so that sort of manipulation has been going on, uh, well, it, of course, it existed prior to the 1950s in modern communications, but it's really ramped up since then. And the technology has facilitated that, you know, those levels of control and, you know, of sort of uh, psychic penetration where we find ourselves now, you were talking about, you know, cracks appearing in the consensus reality. If we think of materialism, really not just as uh, well in two dimensions, as a cosmology, you know, that matter is all that matters. It's all there is, you know, there is no, there are no non-material realms, you know the story, that sort of Darwinist scientific story of of human origins, and th- there's no purpose to life. Basically, it's one one big accident, and when we die, that's the end of it. Uh, so that one way of looking at the world, uh, life, the un- universe, and everything through that lens, but also materialism as a lifestyle. You know, acquisitive, um, buying things, uh, all against a background of, uh, as I said, mythology and spirituality, and all that just fading away as. Uh, superstitious things from the past that we have no need of. Uh, But at this time, we find that sort of materialism breaking down. You know, people are not doing as well as they used to in material terms. It's harder to survive, you know, financially. It's harder to do well in, you know, on those purely materialistic terms. And this is where the great reset and the technocracy comes in uh, as a sort of way to manage that, so to speak you know, to manage our expectations downwards, but still withholding the promise of um, a bright technological future. You know, it's really a way of spinning the materialist uh, fantasy of everyone having, you know, two cars and a semi-detached house and air conditioning, you know, everyone in the world having this stuff, spinning that, going away of that as positive, you know, as as all living in pods and eating Z-bugs because it's good for the environment and actually you know you'll own nothing and be happy because ironically enough materialism is now saying that well material things are not really what's important but you can see that in in simplistic terms as a technocratic management of you know energy and economic spiraling crises within the the you know the material world
0: oh for sure and i think that's a critical point greg is that what's happening now is that we're seeing that there's a shift over a different narrative of the material realm and the material path. And as you said, the old way of seeing materialism was this, you know, I have a job and I, you know, I work until I retire and get a pension. Um, and that that's coming apart because all the older structures are coming apart now. And, you know, the, the, those, groups who are social engineering and the narrative they're very well aware of this in fact if you want to know what they're thinking you just have to listen to to one of the mouthpieces you know yuval Har- harari the israeli historian he made a point by saying that in the future people are going to find themselves increasingly irrelevant and that means they're going to lose their purpose their sense of purpose and that's critical because as the industrialization changes and the, all the whole shifts coming of automi- automi- automization and technology, of course, all the industry uh, demographics change as well. So they're, you know, they're very, very well aware of this, which is they framed it in the fourth industrial revolution, which I'm sure many of your listeners are aware of. So what they've done, of course, and, and if you stay with that material crumbling paradigm, what it comes to is nihilism. And there's a lot of we see that nihilism coming up now because, you know, people are saying, where's my purpose for the future? What's, you know, what what can I what's tangible for my future? And so now they're being very clever about this. And transhumanism is what I call in the book a material fallacy because they're introducing this digital or digitized future. Then they're they're kind of positing it as it's not material. It's beyond materialism, you know, because if it's material, you can touch it. But if you go into the metaverse, you know, it's all digital and you don't can't touch it. So it's beyond materialism. It's the new future where we need to go to. But for me, I I, I compare it to that wonderful film, The Inception, I think in 2010 um, with, with DiCaprio and about when, you know, these people go into the mind of a sleeper and they have to access first, you know, a higher layer of the dreamer's mind or rather the outer layer and then keep going to the next layer of the dreamer's mind the next layer the next layer and to get deeper and deeper into the layer of the dreaming for me that kind of foreshadows this material fallacy because just because it's not solid in fact it's more material because it's being constructed by the machinic architecture Now, machinic architecture is being built by either humans or machines. It runs on certain types of fuel or electricity. It creates algorithms. It's a material construct which then projects a kind of immaterial uh, environment and and architecture that we move through. So now we're being maneuvered through these uh, digital electronic architectures, um, which Snowden calls the architectures of oppression, Edward Snowden. And so we think, ah, we move into the next phase of human evolution. But actually, it's entrapping us into great materiality. But we don't see it because it's not solid. We can't just tap on it like a table. So actually, we don't see it coming. And transhumanism then is built upon this, it's built upon the further extension what i call extended reality there's a chapter in the book called extended reality where we think it's presented as the next stage of evolution but what it is i think of it as a as a kind of materialistic cul-de-sac because once you're going down the transhumanist route um you're actually then moving away from this metaphysical transcendental element which is which is inherent to the human and is important to the human evolution so the material fallacy, I think, is a greater kind of encapsulation of humanity in an encampment or architecture where materiality is still the basis, but we don't see it because a dominant narrative has changed the vocabulary.
1: Yeah, within the idea of um, a trap being presented as an escape, you know, then you get into the ideas, you know, the concept of the demiurge of like, uh, you know, we finally peeled away all the layers of reality and got to the core but actually you know it's not that at all it's just presented that way and it's it's um you know there's many fictional narratives work with this idea don't they that uh you just when you thought you'd found the answer then there was you know, but there was something else beyond that which you couldn't see and is that a never-ending you know re- re- eternal regression of never quite been able to get to the the core of what it is that you're, you're seeking. We'll, we'll return to transhumanism again very shortly. But speaking in in terms of so called physical reality again for a moment, the technocratic thing I see at the minute it is having interesting impacts. You know, just trends within society. I say, you know, political, economic in terms of uh, energy and um, societal changes. All all of this huge mix of stuff. You know. Everything you can think of from like energy, the movements from, you know, governments to sort of um, an, an environmental front through to, you know, outbreak of war. You know, all of these manifestations are ultimately of the same type of neurosis, psychosis, dysfunction. And the technocratic idea of, you know, scaling back our material expectations, but that being spun as actually this is still positive materialism. It's still a bright future. You know, what I referred to earlier—that's a, f- a form of phys- creating more physical dependence on the system, more physical dependence on the kind of matrix system—in terms of your, you know, your day-to-day needs, as it were. And if you think in terms of uh, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it, you know, indicates that as a human being moves up and has their physical needs more and more catered for, and they're more comfortable, not that they actually then. Slip into a coma? Far from it. But that then makes room, or should make room for self development, you know, and, and higher pursuits, and to look beyond just day to day survival. So what I see happening now, and from my own personal experience, I've even had several subscribers to Legalize Freedom, you know, who, who pay for you know access to all the material, cancel subscriptions and say. Uh, just at the minute, I need to focus on just you know uh, keeping food on the table type thing. You know, at the minute, blah blah blah. I need to do this so that to me, that's that's very regressive. And of course, I understand, but that's th- that's this thing in action. You know, create this physical dependence and then a psychological dependence in, in a way, and cutting off people's options. Now, of course, there are ways around all of that. Um, you know, you don't need these material things in order to go within your own mind uh, far from it as you know as all sorts of ascetic traditions prove but in the societies we live in it's perceived that way oh well if i become homeless then i'm not going to be able to do any self you know self-development
0: Yeah, some good points there greg and um you know you first mentioned about talking about the demiurge i'd like to come back to that but first off i'd like to address what you talked about this this hierarchy of needs that concludes part one of
1: our interview Part 2 will be available soon in the subscribers area at LegalizeFreedom.com.
0: LegalizeFreedom.com